Blog Talk Radio. Navigator Robert Batista. The Funky Writer Show has been called the most informative, eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and literati. Now celebrating over six years of dynamic Writers Talk Radio. Connect with us on our prolific Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. I've been waiting with bated breath for today's show and esteemed guest. Her name is Taylor Folks, and her powerful book is called My Prison Without Bars, The Journey of a Damaged Woman to Someplace Normal. Welcome, Taylor Folks, to the Funky Writers Show. Thanks for having me, Robert. I really appreciate it. Taylor, so good having you on the Funky Writers Show. Let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your life's journey and how you got to where you are today. Uh, well, I am a native Texan, uh, born in the great state of Texas. I'm 100% USDA prime choice uh, um, <laughs> Texan <laughs> and uh, grew up there most of my life. Uh, met a Yankee from Ohio. Uh, that's a, a lengthy story in itself. But anyway, he... Right. Um, told me Ohio was the best thing since sliced bread, and I believed him. And uh, so anyway, I moved to Ohio, uh, went to nursing school at Marshall University, um, put myself through college, and I work as an RN first assistant um, in open heart surgery, have done that for 19 years. I've been a nurse in surgery for 30 years, and uh, about... mm, Let's see, it's almost three years now. Actually, it has been three years. Uh, Three years ago, uh, when the Penn State incident uh, occurred with um, the child sexual abuse scandal, um, I basically uh, watched that, followed it, was thrilled with the um, things that were going on, the way the university reacted, and basically from there just you know kept track of everything that was going on and then one incident um made me absolutely lose it and uh that was when a group of administrators and students got together and they were being interviewed i i can't remember if it was on 48 hours it was one of the news shows and uh 
one of the administrators actually looked into the camera and said the punishment does not fit the crime. Right. And I saw red. And I basically sat down and wrote my prison without bars. And uh, it's it's been a journey and a half. I uh, went from being a completely computer illiterate person. I bought my first computer actually to write the book. And uh, I went from being completely computer illiterate to um, the book is now an audio book. And on all uh, Kobo, iTunes, anywhere you can purchase a book, my book is there. Um, thank you for that. For that. Um, Kayla, let's get into your book's title, which, of course, is the first thing besides the cover and the picture is you see and read. Why did you choose this specific title and also subtitle? That's a very good question. And actually, you are the very first person who's ever asked me that. The uh, My Prison Without Bars basically, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory in the sense that you as an abused individual or abused child are basically in a prison. You're you're free to come and go. You're free to go outside and play. You're free to go to school. Um, and, and basically, you're free to associate in society, but you are imprisoned in a, at first, it's an inflicted hell by your abuser, and then it's a hell that you create yourself for the rest of your life. Um, and so it's it's basically a prison without bars. The journey of a damaged place to someplace normal comes from just the desire to not have the secret that I kept for 40 plus years, to be able to um, have normal relationships, to have normal um, re- relationships with the opposite sex, to just be normal, whatever that is. And I came to find out that normal is different for everybody. It's it's not a place you can find. It's not a an entity or an organization or something that, oh, I've suddenly done this, so now I am normal. Um, it's normal is what you make it. Before we actually get into your book, um, talk about what type of training you had in being a writer and putting a book together and what other things you've written before this first novel of yours. Well, that's very easy to answer. Um, I am not a writer. I have never been a writer. I am a voracious reader. I've read over 800 books since 2007. Um, It was an escape for me, and uh, it was a place to go that was far better than the place that I lived. And so I really, basically when I sat down to write my book, I, I didn't have the intent of writing my book. I had the intention of writing mystery romance because I'd read so much of it I thought oh this can't be that art and um, it is and um, I basically I've had no training whatsoever Um, I have a minor in English but that you know does not a writer make in fact my first attempt at writing my prison without bars I had gotten through probably 16 chapters it's a 40 chapter book I'd gotten through 16 chapters, and it actually sounded like a book report. Some friends of mine were reading it as I was writing it, and they were just 
they would smile and, and uh, yeah, you know, this is good. And I knew that it wasn't. Um, and then when the situation with Penn State happened, I tore up the first 10 chapters and started over and took it at a, at a, at a different tack. I, instead of being memoir-esque, which it is not a memoir. I want to make that abundantly clear. It is not a memoir. It is a novel based on my life. And um, it, I, I told it as a story, basically from the beginning of me till the point that I'm at now. And um, it's it's been well accepted to be a taboo subject. It is well accepted. Um, it's won four awards and very prestigious awards. Um, and it's uh, gotten rave reviews. I'm I'm very pleased, very shocked um, at at how it was taken. I when I originally tried to publish it. I contacted five publishing houses, including the publishing house that had done uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, because I thought, you know, hey, if they can do that one, they can certainly do mine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I I did uh, contact them and and actually uh, emailed back and forth with the editor of Fifty Shades of Grey, and she told me she said, you know, Miss Folks, we'd love to have your you know, manuscript, you know, we'd love you to submit, but it can't be descriptive. And, you know, my reply to her was, then then you have just stripped everything, you know, right. that a writer can do, because that's what a writer that's does, right. is they're, they, they are, their words are your videotape to the story that they're telling. And so then that's when I came to the conclusion that, you know, the society that is all about, um, you know, everything and anything and anything goes and live out loud and all that um, was basically not ready to hear about child sexual abuse. So I had to self-publish. Now, the funny and, thing uh, is you just said, you, the funny thing just to interject, you just said is that they said it can't be descriptive, but this is the same publishing house that published Fifty Shades of Grey and wasn't that exactly. book descriptive? I never read it, oh, but, yeah. you know, I'm sure that book was descriptive. So, you know, oh, we very, can have, very. yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, the, the juxtaposition is, is just kind of striking to me, but uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. I, I, no, I, I just, I think that it just depends on the subject matter. And, right, right. you know, when, when you have a subject matter, that I mean, you know, look at television now. You have reality television, and you have, um, I mean, just recently we had um, the. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Outlander series and Game of Thrones, and 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 one was pitted against the other because both of them had rape scenes, and you know, Game of Thrones was, you know, because it was a young girl because she was loved and revered by all the fans, um, you know, people were threatening and, and I'm sure some said, you know, I'll never, I won't watch any more of this. This is awful. I won't do this. And yet they, in the Outlander series, there is a man that is raped and, um, they, you know, Outlander was touted as being, you know, this was done tastefully. This was done so well. And, and the, um, uh, what was great was that the fallout, 
of the violence. Um, you know, the show actually showed how it affects the person afterward. And so I really think that it's just, it's a matter of, it, it's kind of like the old saying that, you know, back in the day when, when uh, they were debating on whether women should be in combat or not. And, right. um, and, and, you know, it, why is it okay for, to see a man, you know, shot and killed on the battlefield, but it's not okay for a woman. And I, I really think it's just a matter of, of, you know, the subject matter and, and, and who is in the story. And it's very hard to, uh, you know, I, I say all the time when I'm trying to promote my book, and, and my book is extremely difficult to, to promote. Um, you know, I, I actually have some tweets that go out and say, you know, I'd love to say that this is a wonderful weekend read, but it's not. It's dark, right. disturbing, and very graphic. Right. Um, exactly. You know, I gave you an out um, when you... Um, you know, approached me and asked me to guest on this wonderful show. You, you know, I told you, hey, you know, you might not want to do that because this is, you know, this is what what it is. And um, so I, I do. I think subject matter has a lot to do with um, if it's titillating, yeah. But if it's disturbing, I don't know. You know, it is a right, double right. standard. Well Yes, and I'm not one to run from subject matter, and I'm also a child advocate and an advocate for teens, and and my pet peeve is youth violence, and I've written books on youth violence and how we can stop youth violence, and, um, you know, anything that advocates for children or tells the story of a child and, and, and what people have gone through as children, I'm all for. Um, but let's move on. Um, Taylor, okay. you write about... You write about this book. I wrote this novel in first person from the mind, body, and heart of a child. Taylor, what exactly do you mean by writing the book from a child's perspective as opposed to an adult who is looking back on the events that happened? Because while I was writing it, I experienced um, the nightmares, the night terrors, the fear, the... Um, I don't like to call it flashbacks because that that is indicative of somebody who forgot and suddenly remembers or who okay. had you know so basically it was it was just it was you know I had to relive it in order to write about it and and that's what I mean and and I think too that anyone who goes through any type of abuse, not just the type that I went through. Right. Um, but anybody who lives through that type of abuse as a child, that child is at, uh, I, it's hard to find the words, but it's, it's like that child is stunted at that point. Right. And right, you have that stunted child inside of you. Even though, you know, the rest of you grows up, there's always that little piece of that child left inside you that stays there and that, um, you know, articulates to your brain feelings, emotions, insecurities, fears, you know, th that sort of thing. And so basically that's what I meant. Taylor, was there, you talk about, you have it. You had to, of course, relive the story as you wrote it. Taylor, did you ever have to stop and stop writing and put the book down for a period of time and then come back oh, to it at a future date? Oh, yeah. 
um, it took me 13 months um, to write 434 pages. And um, there were um, there were times that it affected my family, that um, my mood was so dark. Um, I don't want to say depression so much as um, just a just a sense of darkness. Um, I, I wasn't debilitated by it by any stretch of the imagination, right? But right. There there wasn't a happy place, you know. Um, and and I'm I have OCD. Um, I'm very open about admitting that. I count. I make lists. I, you know, do things repetitively. It's a coping mechanism. And, uh, you know, even that couldn't calm things. I'm not an advocate uh, for myself of of being medicated, but um, there were times when I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. You know, I I really can't do this. And so, yeah, it there were there were several times that um, chapter eight is is the hardest chapter for me to write because it was written about the first time that I was raped. And um, it's, I, I was a mess for weeks and actually had to put the, put the book away for a couple of weeks right. and just right. not, not even go there. So yeah, it was, it was very difficult. Taylor, you chose to write this story as a novel as opposed to, let's say, an autobiography and, and something uh, that truly happened, although, as you said, it did. Why did you choose to write this story as a novel? Was it to protect anyone, or uh, why did you do that? Yeah, I, I wanted to change uh, names, primarily my husband's, my children's, right. um, people that could potentially be hurt by the information because as i said it is a true story right. it's uh fictionalized in the in the sense that i change times dates um places not a lot but enough that someone could come back and say hey you know you didn't go to school here then or right. you know it, it wasn't you know you didn't do this or this or this and so by fictionalizing it, it allowed me leeway to, yes. um, you know, pretty much, you know, do, do things the way that I wanted to do them without, you know, the constraints of, you know, I didn't want to have a, a John Fry situation happen, you know, not that I'd ever be on Oprah, but the fact that, you know, I couldn't, um, I couldn't be called into, you know, hey, you know, you, you did this or this or this, and this didn't happen. Right. And, right. um. So anyway, that's that's basically the reason that I did it as, as a novel. Plus, I wanted to tell the story my way. You know, I right. wanted to be able to uh, to to tell the story in a in a way that was more interesting. I, I every and I've I up until the point that I wrote the book, I had not read a memoir. Um, after I wrote the book and was accused of writing a memoir, I actually read a memoir, and it was I didn't like the the way that a lot of people talk to their their reader. I didn't I didn't want to I don't feel comfortable doing that. I like telling just basically telling a story. Right. Right. Taylor, you also write my goal 
was to exercise my demons, gain some sense of self-esteem, heal myself, and finally tell my dirty little secret with full disclosure while giving the reader full access to my heart. Do you feel you've accomplished all of these goals, Taylor? Very much so. Um, I'm free now. I have um, been through the gambit with this book. I've had the highest highs. I've had the lowest lows, not only with writing it, but also I've had cyberbullying. I've had um, a couple of authors try and have my book banned. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a rough one. And um, I've had you know personal issues. My mother and I, prior to writing the book, had some semblance of a relationship. I thought I had forgiven. Uh, I have not. That's that's my next thing is to work on is, is forgiveness. But my mother yes. and I are estranged now, and we don't have uh, any type of relationship whatsoever. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's changed me from from being a doormat and being an individual who basically, you know, I, I was existing. I, I, I firmly believe that there are victims, there are survivors, and then there are warriors. I am the latter. A victim basically um, exists, and a survivor exists and tries to, you know, just, just continue and a warrior lives, and I'm a yes. warrior. I have, yes. I have, you know, I have taken a hold, and I am, I'm, I'm headed forward. And yes, uh, you are. Yes, you are. Well, thank you, Taylor. Let's talk about feedback. To me, that's extremely important. And you did mention a little bit earlier how feedback was, but how did the people literally communicate to you who've read and absorbed your book respond to it? Um, probably the first year, I haven't kept track since the first year, the first year I had over 500 emails. Um, I've also had well over 300 private messages on Facebook. I'm very open right. to anybody that friends me as long as they don't act bizarre. Um, you know, I, I friend them and, uh, I've had private messages. I've had, uh, some of my daughter's friends. And friends of their friends contact me, and um, you know my my daughters would just absolutely be floored to know some of the people that you know have gone through the same thing. Of course, they right. never will, but but um, so it's been you know, and and really, Robert, that was my biggest fear in writing this book was that someone would think that I had answers. Or that right. I had a solution, or that I had I had figured out the big secret. You know, I had figured out how you get through this and move on, and I haven't. The only thing that I can honestly say is that write it down. Whether you publish or not is is totally irrelevant. It, but the writing of it, the reading it, the you know absorbing what you've written. In great detail. I mean, you need to detail everything from smells right. and sights and sounds, the the, the whole gambit. Right. That, that it validates to you, if to no one else, that it happened, and that you survived it. You've moved on past it, and you're you're okay. You know, you may be broken, but you're not ruined. 
one Amazon review by Melissa, who gave your book five stars, says, Mm -hmm. My Prison Without Bars is a hell of a read. The breathtaking storytelling of Taylor Evan Folk's childhood experiences is not for the faint-hearted. I was forced to drop everything and simply read every single word carefully and deliberately. What happened to Taylor is horrifying, and it's really challenging to read the details of her experiences. And just when you think you can't take any more, you find you can and must. You have to. Wow, Taylor. Melissa had literally dropped everything so she could fully digest your book. How amazing is that? Oh, my gosh. To to be fearful of reprisal, uh, to fear that what you had written was uh, inappropriate and society wasn't ready for it, and then to have a person take your words and read them and feel everything that you wrote um, was phenomenal. I mean, I, I basically sat on the floor and cried. I, I could yeah. not believe, yeah. you know, the, um, the the beautiful review that, that uh, Melissa had given me. Let's talk about your other life. As one who yeah. performs open heart surgery, you mentioned you're a, you're a nurse. What exactly do you do in this capacity, and how did you get started in this field of open heart surgery? Uh, I'm an RN first assistant, which means that I have special privileges. I went to school for an extra couple of years. Uh, okay. I was under a surgeon. I was a uh, proctored by a surgeon uh, and taught how you know what to do, how to do it, uh, how they liked it. And basically what I do is I, um, in open heart surgery, you use veins from the leg or from the um, arms. Uh, You actually use a radial artery from the arms to uh, bypass a blockage on the heart. Right. Right. And uh, so I basically make a little uh, incision about mm, half an inch wide and I use a scope and uh, look on a TV screen and I go up and I take the vein out of the leg through that little incision um, all the way, you know, depending on how many I need. If I need two, I just take the thigh. If I need the whole leg, then I go to the groin and then turn around and go down to the ankle. And um, anyway, I take that out. I fix any holes or, you know, uh, tie off any branches, and then I take it up to the surgeon, and uh, he and I both uh, sew the graft onto the heart bypassing the blockage, and then we connect it to the aorta, which is the largest artery in the body. So blood is being pumped down that vein past the blockage to feed the heart. And uh, then we come off bypass, and he says sayonara, and I wire the chest closed and uh, sew the patient up. And uh, it's really cool. (laughs) It's it's really cool. It is. I love it. I love my work. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. cool. I uh, I started doing this. Uh I actually uh, went into the CCU when I graduated from nursing school, which is coronary care unit. Uh took care I'd worked at the Ohio State University hospitals and we did uh, heart transplants. So I would get the patients ready for uh heart transplants or for bypass surgery or whatever. The um chief of surgery liked the way I took care of his patients and he asked me to come down and visit the OR. 
and I did, and I fell in love with it. And I watched this surgery. It was like a dance. None of the surgeons asked for anything. The scrub nurse just passed instruments, and it was just, I mean, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And they listened to good music and, you know, talked and just, you know, but they didn't have to ask for anything. So for the first 10 years that I worked in surgery, I was a scrub nurse. And just like, you know, anybody's day job, it gets mundane and boring. Right, And so I looked into doing the RNSA stuff because it was just coming into vogue. And uh, I did it. I love it. It's... um, you know, no nobody's body is the same as the next guy's, and it's an opportunity basically to give somebody a new birthday. And uh, when a patient comes in and they are so sick and their heart is so sick and they've just had a you know, terrible, terrible uh, heart attack, and they can leave surgery and in three, four days, go home, and they're a new person with a new lease on life. I mean, you know, my gosh, you can't do anything better. You know, Taylor, it's ironic to me that both of your careers deal with healings of the heart. So let's talk about Taylor, folks, the person. What type of child were you, a conformist? Were you rebellious or a combination of the two? Oh, I was definitely a conformist. I... uh I, I made a better Indian than I did a chief. Um, <laughs> I very much so, and uh, I, I was very quiet and very um, standoffish. I, um, for one thing, I was fearful that my secret would get out somehow. Right. And right. and I know that to some people that's bizarre because it's like, well, unless you talk about it. You know, nobody's going to know, but that's not the case. In in the mind of, a, of a, an abused child, and I'm I'm talking any type of abuse, you feel dirty or shameful, and you feel that that is what people see first. That that's that's the you know the persona that you give off when you meet somebody is right. this dirtiness and right. so you're you're very closed off or I, I was I was very closed off Taylor I'm interesting to know getting back to your book how men have responded to your book can you give us some details on this I I actually spoke with um on Twitter a gentleman who actually, you know, contacted me, he said, I read your book. He said, oh, my gosh. And he sent me a link, a permalink to his review. Um, I don't check reviews. I don't look at them. Um, I don't even know how many I have now. But um, I, you know, he he contacted me, and I, and I read his review, and it, it, it was phenomenal because it was so chivalrous. I mean, it was just like he wanted to go back and take care of business. He wanted to go in and, and uh, um, you know, right all the wrongs that had been done to me. And, I, and it was very endearing and very touching. I don't know if I have a lot of male readers. Um, right. I think it's a very important topic for men because, and, and not pointing any fingers here, but men, male abusers are the people that you hear the most about. And... So, uh, you know, unless it's a school teacher. Um, And so I think it's really important that 
men, the gender, um, are, are aware of this, are aware of, um, you know, the things that happen, the things that may to them not be inappropriate, but in actuality, if you stand back and look at it, yeah, it, it is, you know. And um, so I, I, uh, I, I don't know that I've had many uh, men read my book, but, I, but the ones that have, the, the thing that I took away from it the most was their desire to protect and their desire to, you know, find my abuser and right any wrongs that that had been done to me. So again, again, I felt, you know, very endeared by by the sentiment. Well, the other reason I'm asking that question, Taylor, is that I found in my travels and, and talking is that a lot of men, a lot, have been sexually abused as children. And yes. the thing about the difference with men is that they will not speak on it. They will not. None. Because yeah, it's, exactly it's right. not manly to speak on it. Men are not supposed to give their feelings out and show their emotions. And and, and that, to me, is taboo to a lot of men to, to even think about it or to bring that up. But there oh, is absolutely. a fact that a lot of men have been sexually abused as children also. Anyway, yeah. this, this this time has gone so fast. And oh, in closing, has. Taylor, in closing, out there listening, Taylor, to this show right now is a young girl who is experiencing the exact same thing that you did when you were younger in my prison without bars. She contacts you. What would be the first thing you would say to her? You are a sister of my soul. I know that dark place that all warriors go. And you are not dirty. And you are not bad. And most importantly, it wasn't your fault. You did nothing. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Can you give out any contact information? Um, Somebody wants to contact you and order your book or just uh, connect with you. Can you give out any Twitter or website you'd like? Oh, absolutely. Uh, My website is www.taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, folks, F as in Frank, U-L-K-S as in Sam, dot com. So it's taylorfolks.com. My Twitter handle is at Taylor. T Folks 20. And friend me on Facebook. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. You can find my ebooks on Smashwords.com and my novels on Amazon.com. Look for my new novel. The Devil on Line One, coming in the spring of 2016. My guest has been a courageous human being and an articulate advocate for our children, Taylor Folks. And her powerful book is called My Prison Without Bars, The Journey of a Damaged Woman to Someplace Normal. Thank God. Thank you so much, Taylor, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. Thank you for having me, Robert. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye.